So in the past few years, we've been developing the idea of greatness. And the purpose of greatness, why Kaddish created the world, Shabbos as being a taste of Olam Haba. So what I want to discuss today is one of the most fundamental ideas in all Machshava, which is the idea of potential versus actualizing that potential. Theoretical potential versus actualization. So let's ask a couple questions. Number one, what is the relationship between potential and actual? Number two, why do so many of the Baal Machshava always compare potential and actualization to male and female, to Zachar and Akiva? The Maharal constantly talks about Zachar and Akiva. And it's also very interesting, Hashem is usually considered to be male. And the world is usually considered to be female. So for example, words that wouldn't necessarily be inherently female, when, they're con- when they refer to the world, we consider them to be female. So for example, Eretz refers to this world, the physical world, the land, and it's not inherently a female word. And yet, when you look at the way that we use the word Eretz, Artsot Habris, we use it in the female term. Why? There's nothing inherently female about Eretz. Second of all, why, what is it about male that represents potential? What is it about female that represents actualizing potential? Third question is the same theme, which is the concept of chesed and din. There are spiritual concepts, which the Maharal and the Tzadok and many other Baal always use, of chesed and din. And they also use chesed and din to refer to potential and actualization. And they also use chesed and din to refer to male and female. So what is this concept of chesed and din? And also, when it comes to chesed and din, there seems to be a third term called tiferes. And, for example, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov is connected chesed, din, and tiferes. What exactly does that mean? What, what, what are these terminologies? So we're going to try to understand these ideas. The third question of din is that the Midrash says that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu originally created the world, all of Machshava, it, it originally came up in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mind to create the world midas hadin. And only once he saw the world couldn't exist like that, then he created the world with Rachamim. So the question is, what does it mean to create the world with Minas Hadin? And what does it mean that the world couldn't exist that way, so he had to add Rachamim? And the Ram, if you're very medayic in the words, the Ramcham Masih notes this, it doesn't say he replaced Din with Rachamim, it says he added Rachamim. He mixed Rachamim into Din. So what does that mean? What does Din mean? What does Rachamim mean? How can you mix Rachamim into Din? And the last question is regarding the concepts of mitzvahs asay and mitzvahs los asay. What is the concept of a mitzvahs asay and what is the concept of a mitzvahs los asay? And which is more fundamental? And seemingly you'd think that mitzvahs asay would be more fundamental. But why? The Ramban seems to say mitzvahs asay are more fundamental. But why? Why would one be more fundamental than the other? And also, why do we have a concept called asay docha los asay? There's a famous principle called Mitzvah Baba Vera that if you violate an Avera or something, you can't fulfill a Mitzvah with that same object. So if you steal Lulav, you can't shake Lulav with that Lulav. It's the Mitzvah Baba Vera. If you steal an animal, you can't be Makav. You can't be Makdish. That, that animal is a carbon. Why? Because you stole it. So why is it that if you're not able to do a Mitzvah with something that you stole, with something that you did an Avera with, that when it comes to an Asay Docholos Asay, when the same act is both an Asai and a Losasai, we say it does work. Why isn't the same concept of Mitzvah Babavera applied? That once you're doing something terrible, that you can no longer do something good with that same 
object. So those are the basic questions. Basically, we're going to try to understand the concept of potential and actual. We want to understand how that relates to male and female. And finally, we want to understand the concept of chesed and din and teferis, and how that relates to mitzvot asay and mitzvot asay. So let's start with the concept of potential and actualizing potential. Let's start with potential. What is potential? Potential represents something infinite, something boundless, something theoretical. It could be anything. It has no concrete form. It could be anything. Actualizing potential, something actualized represents something concrete, something real, something physical, something that has boundaries, something that has a framework, something that has limitation. So just to give you some examples of how you can relate to this, Every day you wake up and you have a day in front of you. There are 24 hours in a day. And you wake up and you have a lot of time in front of you. That time represents potential. There's, every moment of your life is, could be anything. There's nothing specific that it is. If, for example, every single day, theoretically, you could do anything. You could fly to China. You could decide to learn any sugi and shas. You can develop any of your midos. You can talk to anyone. You can, there's nothing specific about your day yet. Yet, you can only have one day. If you look back at your day, you decided to actualize that potential in a specific way. So your day looks like it looks. It could be anything, but it only is one thing. Potential represents the infinite, the boundless, the endless, anything. The, the actualized represents something that is, something that's concrete, something that's finite, limited. So this, if you just take a step back, you can use the same exact muscle for your life. You begin life with infinite potential. A, a, a fetus or, a, let's say, a newborn baby could be anything, could develop into anything, could choose to be anything, could develop themselves in any way. And yet, as they go through life, they become something. Something real, something concrete, something limited. They're only that. You look back at your life, it's only that. For example, you, right now, who you are now is all the actualized potential that you have accomplished in your past. Your memories are everything that you've done in your life. That represents the actualized potential. Meaning that in front of you is everything you could be, but behind you is everything that you made real. It's all the potential, the theoretical, that you chose to make actual and real. So, if you want another beautiful analogy, the concept of creativity. When you are going to write a song, or draw a picture, or paint a painting, or write a Dvar Torah, or write a paper, or any project you're going to do that has a creative element, you can do it in any way. But after you finished... It's only that. Meaning, when you are about to write a song, it could be anything. When you're about to write Vartori, you can organize it, develop it, and structure it in any such way. But at the end of the day, when you look back on what you did, it's only that. It could be anything. For example, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite. Hashem is infinite, boundless, in self. But He created a finite world. And the Kabbalists talk about how HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have created the world in any way. It could have looked anything. There could have been one more star. There could have been one less star. There could have been, you know... A green moon. It could have been a, a yellow moon. Bakash Bach created the world this way. So the potential represents the anything. The what could have been. The what could be. But the actual represents what is. So what I want to talk about now is the relationship between potential and actualization.
So the first challenge of potential is when people value potential as potential itself. When they don't try to use potential to actualize it, but they just like the potential itself. So for example, money. Money is just potential. Money has no inherent value. It's only valuable because it can be used to buy something. But there are people who like money for the sake of money. They feel powerful. It's just potential. But money has no inherent value. It's only valuable because a means to actualize that potential, to buy what you need. If you just have money for the sake of money, there's no point of it. And it's also just a very important principle. We're not going to develop this right now, but nothing is inherently good or bad. Everything is potential. Everything can be used for the good or bad. So money can be used for amazing purposes. You can support Torah, develop yeshivas. You can also use it for terrible things. Electricity, great example. Electricity, you can use to, if you, for a socket in the wall, a couple hundred volts. You put your finger in there, you get a shock. But yet also, it can charge your appliances. Yet the more potential, the more power. So let's say you have 22,000 volts, it can light up a city, but if you put your finger on that, you get electrocuted. So the more potential, the more power, the more it can be used for the good or the bad. Good looks, charisma. You can use that to inspire people, and you can use that for great things, you can use it to corrupt people. Everything can be used for the good or for the bad. But there's a much deeper problem when it comes to potential versus actualizing potential. And that is that there, are, there is a good and a bad of both potential and actualizing potential. The greatness of potential is that it's boundless. It's anything. It could be anything. But the weakness of potential is that it's not real. You wake up and your day could be anything. You can learn anything. But you didn't learn anything yet. It's just potential. Yet the greatness of actualizing potential is that it becomes real. What you chose to do, now it's you. you. You actually made it real. But the weakness is that it's just that. It's nothing more. So I'll give you an example. If I come over to you and say, choose a number, any number, and I'm going to give you that amount of money, your mind goes spinning. Right? You think of that, uh, 100 million. But what's the greatness of that? You get 100 million dollars. But what's the pain, what's the weakness? Not a penny more. What about 200 million? We have 500 million. So you say, oh, 500 million. Okay, fine. But what about 100? What about, you know, 700? What about 800? Like, you can always theorize about what could be more and more and more, but if you're not going to actualize it, you get nothing. So the greatness of potential is that it's endless, it's boundless, but the weakness is that it's not real. The greatness of actualizing is that it's real, but the weakness is that it's just that. Now, the challenge that many people face is that they're not willing to give up their potential to make something real. They say, for example, you go on a vacation. You go on a vacation. And you have one day in this resort. And you can go kayaking, you can go mountain climbing, you can go horseback riding, you can go canoeing, you can go bowling, you can do anything. But you can only do one thing. So what does a mature person do? He says, I can only do one thing, so I'm going to go all in. I can only do, I'm going to go uh, mountain climbing. It's going to be amazing. What does the immature person do? Two things. One you can do is that you spend like five hours debating which one should we do. And when you finally choose one, let's say you go mountain climbing, the whole time you're mountain climbing, you're thinking like, what if I went bowling? Or like, what if we went canoeing? You, see, you, you, you don't go all in. You think. But the real immature person sits there all day and just doesn't choose. And doesn't do anything. Because he can't choose. Because if I choose one thing, I'm giving up another thing. If I actualize one aspect of potentiality, I'm giving up another aspect of potentiality. 
It's the same thing when it comes to marriage. When you get married, you have to go all in. Imagine a person who gets married. This is I've spoken to people who this is a major fear for themselves. Imagine a person gets married, and as he's getting married, he's thinking, what if the next one would have been better? What if next girl I met, it would have been, that was my bashert. What's he doing? He's going to destroy his marriage. Because instead of saying that I'm going to take away all the theoretical possibilities, now I'm choosing, I'm going all in, he just lives in fantasy. He lives in what could be. And he isn't willing to commit to make that real. So if you've ever seen a kid walk into a candy store, and he's get, let's say he has one dollar, so he can only buy one candy bar. So he spends like 20 minutes like drooling, just looking at all the different possibilities. He can, you, he can get anything. He goes to O'Nuts, and he's looking at all the different candy bars. He's thinking like, oh, what am I going to get? And as he chooses one candy bar, he goes online, and all of a sudden every other little candy bar in the whole shop starts glowing. And he's thinking like, he's convinced that the only tasteless candy bar that, he, that is in the entire store is one in his hand. And that every other candy bar is going to be better. Why? Because he doesn't understand the concept that you can't have everything. You have to be able to limit potential to make it real. So if you want to really torture a kid, which is not a Jewish thing, but I'm not recommending this, but you offer him an ice cream cone, and then when he has an ice cream cone, you offer him another ice cream cone, and then when he has it, you offer him another ice cream cone, and in like two minutes, you'll have a bunch of ice cream on the floor and a crying kid. Because the kid doesn't understand how to say no. He doesn't know how to say that if I take more ice cream, I'm going to have no ice cream because I'm going to drop all of it. He just wants more and more and more and more. In order to have anything real, you have to be able to give up potential. And that's maturity is the willingness to give up. So when you're a child, you want to be everything. You go over to a really charismatic child. He wants to be Superman, Fireman, the astronaut, Godel Hador, uh, you know, a frog, and you know, this and that. He wants to be everything. And he thinks he can do it. And then, as you grow up, you realize that you have a limited amount of time. You have to choose who you're going to be and what you're going. A person sits down and says, "I want to know everything in the world," but then he spends his whole life saying, "I want to know everything in the world." He knows nothing because he never sat down and learned one thing after another. You can't be everything. You have to choose what you're going to be, and you have to commit to it. So the immature person lives in fantasy of what he could be. He doesn't become anything. Because he's convinced that he can be everything, and therefore, why should I commit my time to this? I could do that. Or why should I learn this so I can learn that so Why should I learn this masechta? I can learn that masechta. Why should I develop my midos in this? I have to work on that. But he never does anything. The mature person has to be willing to give up the everything in order to make something real. And eventually, the some things add up. But you can't just live with everything at once. You have to be able to actualize one thing at a time. And that's the real challenge. So I'll give you a really deep mashal, just that really illustrates this, then we can move on. There was once a farmer in old Russia who was sitting on the side of the road crying. He's crying. And the Tsar happened to be strolling by in his carriage. And the Tsar saw this poor farmer crying, so he felt, felt empathy, felt bad. And he went over to the poor farmer and said, Why are you crying? And the farmer said, I'm a farmer, but I have no land. And I can't farm. I can't do what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't have any land to farm. And I'm just depressed. I have nothing to do with my life. And the czar you know, felt, you know, I'm going to be a good guy. So he gave the poor farmer four stakes. And he said, this whole land that you see in front of you is mine. 
I want you to take these three stakes, because he put one in the ground right where they were, stuck in the ground. He says, I want you to take these three stakes, and I want you to walk as far as you want straight ahead. And when you get as far as you want, you place one stake down, and then you take a left. And then you go straight as far as you want, you place the third stake down, and then you make another left, and finally you go as far as you want, you place the fourth stake, fourth stake down. And when you get to that fourth stake, the whole land in between those four stakes is yours. I'm giving it to you as a present. The farmer was like ecstatic. He's like, oh my gosh, it's like, this is amazing. This is my lucky day. So he says, thank you so much to the Tsar. The Tsar goes on and he starts to walk. He walks one mile, two miles. He's about to put down the stake. Picks it up and he thinks to himself, wait a second, why should I put it down here? If I put it down here, that's all I'm going to get. Why not continue walking? So he continues walking for another mile, two miles. He's about to put down the stake. He thinks to himself, wait a second, if I put down the stake, that's all I'm going to get. So I might as well go further. So he goes further, another mile, two miles. He's about to put down the stake. And again, he says, why, why put it down here? And as the legend goes, he never put down the stake. And he never got down here. Because if you're not willing to sacrifice the theoretical potential, you're not going to get anything. So maturity requires you, and a certain depth requires you, to be able to sacrifice the theoretical potential, in order to make something real. So now that's the basic understanding of potential and actualization. So now we have that principle. I want to delve into one of the most profound and deep topics, which is the concept of male and female, and how that reflects the concept of potential and actualization. So the first parallel between actualization and potential is in the physical body of the male and female. The male creates millions of seed at a time and re releases millions of seed at a time. And the female has just one egg at a time. Now, the male will release all of this potential, millions of possibilities, could be anything, all these theoretical possible genetic combinations. But the female, which represents actualizing the potential, has to just take one of those seed one of those sperm cells, and turn that into something real. Give up all the infinite potential, the millions of other seed, to make one thing real. What's the greatness of male? It's, it's, so, it's, a, it's a million, it's so much potential. But it's nothing. It's nothing. What's the greatness of female? You make something real. You can, you can conceive and create a real child, but it's just one. You give up everything else. And it's also amazing, if you open up, if you've ever been in a lab and you've opened up a female embryo, you'll see all of the eggs that the female will have her entire life. Because when the female is born, she already has all of her eggs. The male is constantly producing. Constantly producing millions and millions of new seed. It's just overwhelming potential. Overwhelming outflow. But the female is that which has something finite, something limited, something that has limitations and boundaries, but it makes it real. It represents actualizing potential. And that's why the, the male gives off this flash of potential in the, the relationship between man and female, and it's just completely, he's done. That's his whole topic, just that flash of potential. The female has to go through the grueling process of taking that potential, limiting it, making it real, and then nurturing it and constructing it within her during the stage of pregnancy. And that's the concept of actualizing potential, which is the grueling, difficult process of making something theoretical real. Making something that's potential, real, it requires effort, 
To have a dream of being great is easy, but to actualize that dream requires a tremendous amount of effort. And that's the effort of pregnancy. That represents actualizing potential. It's also fascinating why the Maharal says, why is it halakhically mutter for a man to marry multiple women? Because a man represents outflow and constant potential. But a female represents something limited. So a male can impregnate many, many women. But a female can just take one and focus on it, concentrate it, and make that real. Obviously, there are reasons why nowadays we don't do that. But in theory, that's why a male represents this constant outflow of potential. Now, this is a concept which we'll be developing many times throughout the summer, which is that the Hebrew language, Lashon HaKodesh, is so deep, and you can always see the depth of all the ideas we're talking about in the Hebrew language itself. So, Nikkeva, Nakva, Nikkeva literally means to make specific, to make finite. So, for example, when Yaakov goes to Lavan and Lavan says, Tell me how much you want me to pay you, and I'll pay you, he says, Nakva Olai Charecha. State to me, tell me your exact wages. Nakva, Nikkeva means to make specific. So, for example, Asher Nikvu Bishemot means a specified need, something specific. So Nikeva literally means to take potential, to make theory, and to make it specific and real. And Zachar, which represents potential, outflow, first of all, it's amazing, Zachar is the same Shoresh as Zecher, memory. And what's your memory? All the potential of your past which you made real. Your memories are all that potential which is you, which you made real. But Zikaron is the same gematria as Zera. Which obviously we need a whole shear on the depth of gematria and how it's not just a, you know, a scam or something. You know, you know, some, it's so deep, but we're not going to have time to develop that right now. But Zikaron is the same gematria as Zera because what is seed? It's a genetic memory. All the male seed is, is a memory of the past generation. It's just a fleeting genetic code. The female is that which makes it real, but the, the male is just a genetic code. That's all he contributes. So now let's take a step further. And this gets into another category of the depth of the Aleph base, which once again requires a whole sheer to understand how we can really delve into these depths. But for now, we're just going to state the ideas itself. So Av, which represents the father, the male, represents the spark of potential, that infinite flash of potential. How? Because Av, first of all, Av is Aleph and Beis. It's the first two letters of the Aleph base, which represents the, the initial spark, the initial flash. And also Av represents Eva. It's the same root of Eva, which means desire in Ratzon. And Ratzon, desire, is the root of everything. Everything you do is because you want it. Desire is the root of all action. So Eva and Av is the root of the creative process. But Av also represents taking absolute oneness, Aleph, the first letter, Aleph, silent, it's oneness, there's nothing finer or physical about the Aleph, and it represents making that into a world of multiplicity and finite. So, for example, the male takes his genetic code and splits it up into millions of different seed. He has one genetic code, you have one genome, and yet you split up your genetic code into millions of different versions of you. So it takes Aleph and oneness and brings it into Bayes, which is multiplicity which is brilliant if you realize the depth of that. What does a mother do? What's Aim? Aim takes that same root, that Aleph, that spiritual root, and brings it into Mem, which is the middle letter in the Aleph base, which represents something finite. Mem, which is the gematria of 40, 
40 always represents taking something which has no form, which is, for example, like the millions of just theoretical sperm, and bringing that and creating something real, a real child. So, for example, the Gemara says that until 40 days, a fetus is just Maya Biyama. It has no form. After 40 days, the fetus takes on a concrete form and starts to look like a fetus. Kleistral spent 40 years in the Midbar, in their fetal stage, until they were ready to enter into Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara says that the age of Chachma is 40. Because Chachma represents taking all these different disparate ideas and all these different concepts and constructing them into oneness, seeing the bigger ideas, seeing the bigger picture. That's someone who's a Baal Chachma. Someone who knows a lot of ideas just knows a lot of ideas and a lot of facts. But Chachma represents seeing the oneness and representing taking something which has so much multiplicity and creating oneness and form out of that multiplicity. And obviously the last step which requires a whole shear is mikvah, requires 40 sa. Why, why 40? Why, what's the shear of 40? Because mikvah, we don't have time to really develop this now, but it represents breaking down the person and recreating him. When he comes out of the mikvah, he's reborn, it's creating a new form. So aim represents creating a form out of that potential. And that's why also aim represents im, if, dependency, because it's all dependent on the mother. If you don't have a mother, the potential doesn't become real. So the mother takes the potential of the child, take the potential of the, of the father, of the Ab, and makes it real. And just, you know, if you want to see, just take this a step further and you want to hear something really just a beautiful. We went from Aleph to Aleph to Bez, Av. We went from Aleph to Bez to Aleph to Mem, that's Aim. But what's the journey of life? The journey of life is to Anas. It's from Aleph to Mem to Aleph Mem to Taf. It's, you're going from that initial field stage and you're trying to go all the way to the end of the destination. From the beginning to the end. Now what's the journey to MS? That's Emuna. Emuna means living by the truth. Which requires, once again, a whole other shi on Emuna. But Emuna means that you know the truth and you live by the truth. And that's why the, the root of Emuna is Amen. It means to make true. And you say amen to a bracher, saying, I agree, let it be true. Which is why the journey from Aleph to Aleph to Beis, to Aleph to Mem, to Aleph to Mem to Daf, from Aim to Ms, starts when you're born, is the journey of Amen. Aleph, Mem, Nun. So you're born, and you're, you go on the journey of Amuna towards Ms. So now that we've developed the idea that the father, the male, represents potential, and the mother represents concretizing that potential and making it real, limiting the potential. It represents discernment. You can't be everything. There's a beautiful hara that when it comes to the avas and the himaos, the himaos were always those which were more discerning. So for example, when it came to Yishmael, Avraham thought Yishmael was great. But Sarah was the one that said, no, Yishmael has to go. Yishmael is not kosher, and he's going to be destructive to Yitzchak, and you have to send him out. And Karsh Baruch Hu said, she's right, you have to listen to her. And when it came to Esav and Yaakov, Yitzchak loved Esav and Yaakov. But Rivka was the one who said, no, 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 it has to be Yaakov. Esav's not good. So the female Mida represents taking something which is just theoretical, potential, infinite, and limiting it, constricting it, but also discerning, saying what could be, what can't be. What you're going to do, what's not going to do. What's going to stay, what's not going to stay. But there's a potential danger of the female. This is a very, very deep topic. The female, actualized a potential, represents taking something theoretical and giving it life. So the mother takes the seed of the father and makes it real and gives the child life. 
He, she nurtures it, and during pregnancy, constructs the fetus and gives it life. But there's a danger, which is constricting the potential too much that you suffocate it. So, for example, if you want to think of it in an analogy, you'd say that it would be kind of like an ember, where if you suffocate the ember, it goes out. But if you're able to fan the flame, then you can ignite that into a real living flame. So the mother takes the seed and gives it life. Now the skill of a mother is to give the child space and independency as she goes through life. So it's really just amazing if you think about the stages of how a mother nurtures a child. The beginning is that the mother is completely surrounding the child, completely giving the child life. In the womb, the child doesn't get oxygen, doesn't get food, it's completely through the mother. Yet, once the child's born, the mother has to give some space. Now the child has to have some independency. But still, she's nursing the child very, very close to the child. The child is very, very dependent on the mother. Yet, the next stage is that the child stops nursing, goes to school, leaves the mother a little more, and then goes to high school and wants more dependency. And then the next stage is marriage, where you're really... There's another woman in his life, there's another person in life that they're completely separate. The mature mother... The developed mother gives the child more and more space at each stage. But the immature mother smothers the child, suffocates the child, and doesn't let the child have that freedom and breath. And what happens is that she puts out the flame. Now, why does she do that? Because she's concerned that if I let go, he'll leave, or she'll leave. But the brilliance is that the more that the mother lets the child go and gives more independency and space, the more the child will come back. But the more that you suffocate the child and squeeze him and don't let him have any dependency, the more the child's going to be in a rush to just run away and get out. So there's an amazing brilliance of that, of the skill of, of a real mother. And that's also why the Gemara refers to a woman as a bias, that the, the Isha is the bias of the Ish. Why? Because a bias represents a makom, a space for you to live in. Because the, the wife, Ezer Kinegdo, was Ezer Kinegdo, that not that you're battling each other, but that you're a force, a driving force that brings out the potential of your husband. And a bias is that which gives space for someone else to exist to allow them to actualize their potential. So for example, in a chuppah, the woman walks in a circle around the each seven times because she gives him the space within which to exist. So now let's take the next step. Next step is why is Akash Baruch Hu referred to as male? Why is Akash Baruch Hu male? And why is the world female? The answer is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu represents infinite potential. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is boundless. He's infinite. He's everything and anything. You can't give any limitation. You can't say anything about HaKadosh Baruch Hu because it limits him. You can't say HaKadosh Baruch Hu is good. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is more than good. He's boundless. But he created a specific world. He created a finite world. And this world is just this. It could have been anything, but it's just this. But there's another dimension which is that the world is where we also actualize our potential. So the world is something which is actualized potential of Akash Baruch Hu, but it's the makam, it's the place where we actualize our potential. So now back to our original question, why is it that Akash Baruch Hu is male and the world is always referred to as female? So Eretz, why is Eretz female? Because Eretz, the physical world, is a place of actualizing potential. It is the actualized potential of Akash Baruch Hu. It's limited, it's finite, it's concrete, it's physical. It's also the place where we actualize our potential. If you remember, in two shirim ago, we mentioned how Eretz from the root of Ratz, because this world is where you run 
through life where there's a process of movement where we become and grow. It's a place of actualizing potential. But there's a really deep idea, which is the word even is another example of this. The Maharal discusses how even represents the building blocks of the physical world. And the Midrash says how the physical world emanates and its root is from the even shasiyah. The even shasiyah, which is in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Kodesh HaKadosh. Now, even shasiyah, even is a male word. Even ends with a nun. A nun is not a female letter. Yet, even shasiyah, even gidola, we refer to even as a female word. Why? Because Evan is the building blocks of the physical world. It represents the finite, limited, constricted physical world. But there's something even deeper, which is Evan is a combination of Av and Ben. What's the medium between father and son? How do you create a son from a father? The female. The aim. That is the transition from Av to Ben. That's why Evan represents the female. Evan is concretizing potential. Just one last example is the concept of MS and Sheker. MS represents something limited. MS is truth. Sheker represents lies. But Sheker is, is boundless. For example, 1 plus 1, there's only one true answer. There's only one MS to 1 plus 1. But there's an infinite amount of wrong answers. MS is 1 plus 1 equals 2. Sheker is 1 plus 1 equals 3. 1 plus 1 equals 5. You can go... Sheker is boundless. Searching for the truth represents limiting all possibilities and searching for something that's real. Searching for something that's fine, something that's limited, but something that's actually real. So, because we ran out of time, we're going to develop the ideas of chesed, gvurins for us tomorrow. But the basic structure of what I want to build today, and I know this is a little bit of a deeper topic, but it's the balance of potential and actualization. That potential represents what could be. The theoretical, the possibility. But something that's real requires you to limit what's infinite, limit what's theoretical, and to make it real. To devote yourself to the difficult work of making something finite. You are only as much as you've developed. If you live with the theory of what you could be, you won't become anything. But if you live with the vision of what I want to be and then live the MS, which means you're committed towards developing that and making that real, then your memory, your, your zikaron, your memories, will be of greatness because you will become great. So the real challenge for us is to live within potential but to then make it real. And my brach of all of us is that we really take this mattress to heart and that we not only have huge dreams of what we must be and what we could be and what we should be, but that we actually live that life and we actually become the people that we're meant to be.